You're listening to episode 130 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? A massive thank you to all of you who left a rating and a review for us on our iTunes page. I know it's a bit of a situation to get through all the steps, and it means the world to us that you took the time. I'm not exactly sure how, but I hear that the combination of having our listeners subscribe to us on iTunes and also leave a rating and a review for our podcast does something to the iTunes algorithm, and it's supposed to help make our podcast more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before. A lot of time and love goes into making this podcast and 88 Cups of Tea what it is today, so thank you so much for taking the time to help us grow our community. A special thank you to our listener V Valiente, who recently rated us five stars and wrote, Yin is that perfect ray of sunshine every writer needs published or unpublished. Whether getting ready for work or on my afternoon commute, Yin never fails to put a smile on my face as she delves deep into the craft of storytelling by interviewing a diverse list of authors. Her positivity and desire for genuine human connection really shines through and never fails to pull me out of a writing slump. Every episode is a gem that teaches us that no matter where we are in our writing journey, we all face the same fears and desires that make writing so magical. She's found a lifelong listener in me. Vanessa, you are so wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to write such an uplifting and heartwarming review. I honestly had the biggest smile on my face reading that out loud. And also, thank you so much for always showing up in our private Facebook group with so much positivity and encouragement. I appreciate you so much. Now on to the next part of our intro. We have a private Facebook group. Yes, you just heard me talk about it to Vanessa, and this is the group that I was referring to. So our private Facebook group is a pretty magical place for fellow 88 Cups of Tea listeners to connect and hang out, check in with each other about storyteller-related things, and I also chat very closely with our group members to involve them with our podcast and community-related decisions that help shape the growth and direction of 88 Cups of Tea. You get the chance to request who you'd love to hear next on the show, and I also do live video catch-ups and book unboxings. So if those are things that jump out at you or kind of floats your boat, we would love to hang out with you in our group at 88cupsofteacup slash FB group. It's so fun in there. And I'm really proud to share that our group is filled with the most loving and encouraging storytellers. Join us over at 88cupsofteacup.com slash FB group. Now on to our guest. We have Nikki Grimes with us today. Nikki is the award-winning New York Times bestselling author of dozens of children's and young adult books, as well as a poet and journalist. Throughout her prolific career, Nikki has highlighted stories and characters from communities that have been largely underrepresented in young people's literature. Her latest novel, Between the Lines, is the thought-provoking follow-up to her critically acclaimed Bronx Masquerade, where readers follow the lives of a group of classmates that School Library Journal calls a perfect blend of the many facets of American teens' lives. And it also shows the capacity poetry has to express ideas and feelings and connect us with ourselves and others. Nikki received the Coretta Scott King Award for Bronx Masquerade and has also received four Coretta Scott King honors. In 2017, she was awarded the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award for her substantial and lasting contribution to literature for children. She has written more than 50 books, including The Road to Paris, Jasmine's Notebook, 
the Diamond Daniel series, and the New York Times bestseller, Barack Obama, Son of Promise, Child of Hope. In Nikki's episode, we discuss how writing first became her survival tool and coping strategy as a way to express herself during her younger years in and out of foster homes. Further into the conversation, Nikki brings us behind the scenes into the inspiration behind Bronx Masquerade and Between the Lines, and how she's a very character-driven writer. Storytellers, this episode is such a special treat, especially for our craft-focused writers who could use some inspiration and advice for creating compelling characters. We dive deep into Nikki's writing process and even deeper into the way she creates characters, from how she organizes the differences between all of her characters to how and why it's important to instill hope in them. We also kick off the conversation talking all about traveling, as y'all know I love my travels. And we wrap up the episode with advice from Nikki about coping with cutting large chunks out of our drafts during the revision process. Now let's dive right in. Hey everyone, we have Miss Nikki Grimes with us today. Nikki, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. So good to talk to you. Oh, same here. I'm so happy to have you on the show. So I was just mentioning that I just moved back to New York and my goodness, it is very different from San Diego and LA because the sounds are just, it is so hard to soundproof this area. (laughs) Uh, We've got some noises. Somebody's working on the apartment. So I'm like dragging this entire mic and the laptop to our living room, but someone's banging downstairs, clanking away. So I drag it to our master bedroom where it's supposedly quieter, but I'm hearing sirens and trucks. Yeah, that's that's New York. Yeah, for you. that's New York for you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, should I talk in the closet? But I might suffocate. So maybe it's better I stay conscious while I talk to Nikki. It's okay. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I'm used to that particular distraction having grown up there. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was reading your bio and then you, you grew up in the city, but now you're in, in California. So now you got yeah. nice and quiet. What was the reason for this move? Is it to get some peace and quiet? Because <laughs> I'm just like figuring well, it out no. myself. I mean, first of all, it wasn't a direct move from New York. I lived in Sweden for six years. Ooh. And when I was coming back to the States, I knew I wanted to go someplace new. And I was meeting a lot of people from California it said, oh, you'd love California. You've got to come to California. And I thought, okay, let me, let me go check it out. So I went on a kind of fact-finding trip, mostly to San Diego. I ended up moving to the LA area, though. But I checked it out, and I thought, yeah, this could work for me. I was more thinking about what was going on in art. I was hearing a lot about art going on in the churches, and that got my attention. And I'd lived overseas before, and I'd already dealt with culture shock. So I knew I wanted to go someplace that was new, that I wasn't going to be comparing to how it was before. So those were some of the reasons I chose California. And it has worked for me. Well, I'm so happy for you. Uh, we completely you. switched coasts. And I'm like, darn, we just missed each other by like, I know. <laughs> you know, I just, we literally just drove across the US on a road trip to move our stuff in my car to also bring my car from California. Right. We just settled in about three weeks ago. Oh my gosh. Nikki, I'm so fascinated by this and can't help but ask, but how was Sweden? Well, it was lovely enough for me to stay for six years and it was very hard for me to leave. It's called the Venice of the North for a reason. It is beautiful. You can't go very far in any direction without hitting either lakes or forests. Um, So the topography is just amazing. I just, I love the culture. I love being in international environments anyway, where I'm hearing lots of different languages and rubbing up against different cultures. At the time I was there, fully 20% 
of the population uh, was immigrant. So it was very, very diverse. And uh, I loved that. Sweden is also a nation that hasn't had a modern war on its soil. And so every city is just like one gigantic antique. (laughs) I love antiques. It was just perfect for me. I heard the Messiah live for the first time in a German church over 700 years old, the very kind of edifice that inspired the music. And there are the, you know, ancient abbeys there, and of course, all the cobblestone streets. And I just love all that history. Oh my gosh, I love cobblestone streets. Oh my gosh. Nikki, you just completely sold Sweden to me. I think that's going to have to be next on my travel bucket list. You have to do it. Thank you you for this. My girlfriend was able to go. So I was very jealous. And now that you mentioned this, now I'm just like, okay, it's done. I'm I'm booking my flight after we (laughs) chat. I'm gonna be like, you know what? This is all Nikki's doing, not mine. So you can talk to her. (laughs) And try to go in the spring. In the spring, they have a sale day where uh, because the boating is, you know, because of there's so much water, boating is huge. And there's an archipelago that runs right through the center of Stockholm. And on sale day, everybody brings out their boats. And some of these are wooden, polished, brass boats and some smaller boats that sail all the way through the center of the city. You've got to be kidding me. It's just beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I'm surprised you came back to the States, to be honest. It was very difficult. I remember reading also that you sang on stage in Sweden. In Sweden, I was known as a singer who also wrote. My Because I sang with a very popular gospel singer. I sang back up with her. And I had my own contemporary gospel band that traveled around. And so there I was was known as a singer who also wrote. And if I was was going to a show, you know how people will have um, uh, photos of opening nights, you know, and who came out? Well, I would be in the photos of opening nights. Really? I chose there. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was such a hoot. It was it was just it was really fun. Nikki, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, so I can't help but ask, is that what originally brought you out to Sweden or was just purely a curiosity of getting out of the country just to explore? Oh, neither. It was just so banal. Um, <laughs> when I when I was there, I did a, an article for Essence, because I used to freelance for them on uh, black American women expatriates living in Sweden. And so I was interviewing choreographers and doctors oh, wow. and educators and all these, you know, powerhouse women. And I would ask each one, what brought you to Sweden? And the answer was also, was always a guy. Oh. I met Buse, I met Lasse, I met this one. <laughs> well, the only thing that was different about my story is that the guy I was talking about, I had actually met in Tanzania. He was an artist and he ended up with a grant to the Swedish Royal Academy of Fine Arts. So he ended up in Sweden and he was the reason I ended up in Sweden. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my goodness. He wasn't the reason I stayed, but he was the reason I went. Hey, that's reason enough. All right. At least he got you there in the first place. So thank you, Mr. Man, for getting her there. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. I love that story. I love that so much. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now, this has been incredible, and I love how this all came to fruition. And if you don't mind, may we backtrack? I know we can't remember anything since, you know, when we were fetus, but, like, as far back as we can remember, I'm like, can I remember? 
I'm pretty sure it's pretty dark. Other than that, no, I don't think I can remember that far back. <laughs> but as far back, can you remember what? Because I know you started writing poetry at super young. Was it six years old? Six and years old. I six writing. years. Like, I mean, come on. If that is not God-given talent, I don't know what is. So I, I need to know what spoke to you. What was this calling and the catalyst or the inspiration to even start? Oh, I, oh, I absolutely can. And it wasn't uh, essentially about writing per se, but needing to express myself. I was in and out of foster homes, and so I really felt alone most of the time and didn't feel that I could trust the people who were around me. And so when I had things on my heart or on my mind that I needed to get out, the way I got them out was to write. Um, And so that really, for, I don't know, probably the first maybe 10, 15 years of my writing, it was all about a coping strategy. And I didn't think in terms of writing for a career until probably high school is when I really started thinking, hey, I might actually want to do this. But up to then, it was really reading and writing were my survival tools. Mm. I'm very curious because I know you're saying it was like a coping mechanism in and out of foster home. How were you first exposed to poetry, though? Was that a teacher or someone who really cared, like an adult who showed you ways? No, it actually grew out of wordplay. I was fascinated with language. Um, The idea that one word can mean many different things and the notion that someone could write something down that was funny and 3,000 miles away somebody could read it and laugh fascinated me. And so I was constantly doing puzzles and word jumbles and all kinds of word games. And I make up word games of my own where I'd go to the dictionary and randomly choose a word and figure out all the different ways I could use it. And essentially at its base, Poetry is wordplay. And so my poetry grew out of that. Very, very inspiring. Jeez. Uh, You are like a miniature, intelligent Albert Einstein at age of six, already (laughs) figuring out the puzzle pieces and how it comes to fruition and put everything together. If I had just a fraction of that, that. I'd be grateful. So if you want to share some brain cells, thank you very much. Nikki, I also do want to tap into more of what you shared about you going in and out of foster care, only if you're okay with it. And you don't, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to share no, about I'm it. fine. My mother and father were back and forth together for a few years before they finally decided um, to divorce. Mm. Um, and then when I was, so we were kind of staying with all kinds of different strangers before they finally divorced. And then we officially uh, went into the foster care system, my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And as often happens in foster care, uh, siblings are separated. So we weren't together for very long. She was sent one place, I was sent to another. Is she older or younger? Older. Older. Okay. And and by a few years or were you quite close in Uh, age? Almost five. Okay. So that's, that's still pretty close then. Yeah, it's very close. Yeah. Yeah. What was the youngest age when having to go back and forth? Um, I'm not so much aware of that as I am. I know the final home I went into, I was six. In fact, it was in that home that I started writing. Oh, so was it an encouraging environment? Yes, it was. It took me about a year to trust it. But it was a very, very loving home. And um, it was the most secure and happy time in my childhood, the four years I was with them. 
Wow. Okay. So that means you were there from six to 10. Yeah. Oh, wow. Those are very, very pivotal years too. They are. Very formative years. Very critical years. Yeah. Were you allowed to choose to stay with them or you could choose to go home or how was that like? Well, my mother married and invited me um, home uh, I see. to come back home. Mm-hmm. And nine out of 10 times, a child will always choose their parent. Um, and so even though, you know, there were issues and some fears and, you know, about whether or not it was a good idea, ultimately I had to go, I had to, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine you know, not spending time with my own mother. So I, I said yes. And, and I went back to, to live with her. It was disastrous. But as I said, nine out of 10 times that a child will choose their parent. Well, of course. I mean, I think I would have as well. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a part of you that wanted to learn more about where you came from. I mean, subconsciously, Absolutely. you know, I know yeah. that that would be if I can imagine myself, I would want to know more about my mom. I would want to know more right. about my parents and where where exactly. I come from what made me tick and what made my mom tick like that's how I think mm-hmm. very yeah. consciously you know so I completely understand that were you able to consciously see what a difference it was from the foster care system the last one oh without question very very quickly yeah oh for very quickly yeah it was pretty obvious okay but right but I of made course the decision, so I stuck it right of course of course is your sister with your family? Has she? Did she choose to come home? Because again, it's nine out of ten kids who choose, but there could be that one out of ten, you know. She came home for a while and and briefly, and then had reason to leave very suddenly, and I didn't find out about what precipitated it until years later. Okay. So she wasn't she wasn't with me for very long. Okay. And are you still close to your sister now? Are you able to yes. have a relationship yeah. with her? Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you both. Yeah. It took us years to get there, but we're we're there. And I'm sure it took a lot of work, but I'm mm-hmm. happy to hear now that that work was done. There was an effort there and you are where you are now. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that your younger years with us. And I know that's, you know, not exactly the the easiest topic to talk about, especially not ever meeting me face to face. So I thank you very much for sharing that with me. That was I'm very, sure. very honored. And I do want to also now jump into your work. It was Jasmine's notebook that was very much inspired by your experiences with foster care. Well, that's something in there. But Jasmine's notebook started out as a collection of stories about my time living with my sister. And so that's sort of the core of that novel is really what that's about. There are reflections on the foster care experience, but that book is really about that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. That's okay. Just having a bird's eye view, which is the work that you find that you had the most emotional connection with? Oh, everything. Um, Mm. mm, mm, mm. Oh, that's hard. Jasmine, for sure. uh, Mm. Road to Paris. That's the one that really focused on the foster care experience. But, you know, there's always a deep emotional connection for me with each of my books, because for me, the most important thing about writing is making an emotional connection with my reader. And in order for them to go there, I have to go there first. 
Ooh, yes. That's part of everything that I write. And so there are aspects of me in every character, in every book, including Between the Lines. Mm -hmm. I connect with so many of those characters in a variety of ways. There's something true of me in them and in their stories, even though each one has a very different story. There's something true emotionally that helps me to connect with each of those characters. Before we jump in further, because I definitely want to dig in deeper with Between the Lines, could you give our community, for those who have not had the chance and opportunity yet to grab a copy, a snapshot? It started with uh, Bronx Masquerade, which preceded it, which a novel in poetry and verse exploring a classroom of high school students over the course of a year, using the poetry to explore more how they wanted to represent themselves to their classmates whereas the monologues are more about who they really are and sort of moving back and forth between the two and the community that develops as a result of each person sharing who they really are with one another and finding out in the end that they're more alike than they are different. One of the things that happens at the end of the book is the teacher who's been holding open mic poetry in a classroom suggests that the following year they were going to try to do a poetry slam. And in between the lines, which picks up in that year, that is happening. So students throughout the year are preparing towards doing a poetry slam at the end of the year. And it's a new group of students with very different issues. I wanted to bring in various immigrant stories and deal with social injustice issues and some of the hot button issues we're talking about today and that are concerning young people today and especially wanted to get into talking about foster teens who are about to age out of the system because I feel that's a really critical area that needs to be talked about. The numbers of foster teens who end up homeless and vulnerable to sex trafficking is really frightening and it's because they lack the support they need once they you know leave the system. That was one of the things I wanted to get into in the book. And so I do. That's kind of what Between the Lines is about. Thank you so much. And, you know, when you mentioned what you just shared about people needing to be aware of the realities of, especially, like you said, homelessness and sex trafficking afterwards. And if we could prevent it, that would be, of course, what we aim for. But for those who are listening and do want to see how they can help in their own way. Do you, by any chance, before we jump into more details, have any resources that you can point to for us to be aware of? And we can also put up in your show notes page. Well, I've included a list of resources in the back of the book. And I've also created a resource list on my website, which goes beyond that. I have researched organizations across the country who are servicing this community. Incredible. And making that information available, especially for teachers because almost every high school classroom is going to have at least one of these kids in them. And so I want teachers to be aware of that, be aware that there are resources available and they can help to prepare teens a year or two before they're going to age out so they can start to plan it and line up their resources and know that they have a place to go before that 18th birthday hits. Yes, that's incredibly helpful. Do you know the direct link of that to your website? If it's just NikkiGrimes.com and then we just search for the resources, we could do that too. Thank you so much for that, Nikki. And we'll have that linked up. And now jumping into first, before we, I guess we really get into between the lines, I would need to also ask 
for Bronx Masquerade. What was that idea? What was that first spark that came to you where you're like, oh, this is the next story I'm working on? Was it a vision? Was it sometimes I know there are writers who've had dreams and then they've woken up or like, this is the one that this is the next story I'm working on. So how did this specific story come to you? I don't have dreams, but this idea did come to me almost whole cloth. I love your transparency and your honesty. And I have so much admiration for you. (laughs) I feel that everybody, by the time they're teenagers, certainly, we all have masks that we wear out into the world. And I really wanted to get underneath those masks and explore who kids really are and just look at some of the the issues they have to wrestle with uh, as young people in the world. Initially, I was just doing it in prose because I was exploring the characters because I'm a character-driven writer. So I always start with the character. So I was writing about the characters, doing monologues in the voice of each character. And then I added the poetry as a way to really dig into who they were. It was really a very organic process because I didn't have anything to go by. I had never seen anything like what I was creating. So I didn't really have anything to go by. It was just organic. And I also found myself pairing students, pairing characters who were dealing with similar issues, but were in different places in their lives. Like I had Gloria and Lupe, and one was a teen mom, and the other thought she wanted to be. Mm. And of course, she had an opportunity to learn that it's not as easy. Also, her whole motivation was she wanted someone to love her who would love her purely. And that's all she was thinking about. In her relationship with Gloria, she found out there's a lot more to it. And maybe this isn't what she wants to do. And maybe she should think about other ways to build her life. So I had fun pairing various characters to explore one another's stories, because I think you really can't come in as an adult and Mm. tell kids what to think. Yes, yes. Really, the stories and the truth has to be revealed from their perspective. And so here was an opportunity for me to let young people teach one another through the examples of their own lives. I can't help but wonder, you have quite a few characters in Bronx Masquerade. 18. Originally, I was planning on more because I was literally thinking of a classroom. And so initially, I was thinking about 33 students. Nikki. I know. I was out of my mind. But as I developed it, it started feeling full already. And I thought, okay, I don't literally need 33. It already feels like a full class. So we can stop here. That's the impressive part where it's like you stopped at 18. The crazy part is that so many people were writing how incredibly distinct each 18 characters were. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what on earth? Who is this goddess who's able to figure out 18 different voices? (laughs) Mine would all sound like one person. I'm like, this is such a crazy question. But Miss Grimes, what is your secret? (laughs) The secret is that I think of my characters as real people. And when you do that, it becomes much simpler. And you think about you have a set of friends and you have people in your family that you talk to on a regular basis. And when they call you, you generally recognize their voices immediately. Mm. You can tell one apart from the other because you know that person. If you're walking down the street and someone in front of you is walking, you can recognize them by their walk. Because you know them that well. And so I think about my characters in exactly that way. They are unique. They have certain gestures and certain ways they move and certain ways they speak that are unique to them. And because they're as close as a friend, you recognize them. 
And so I developed my characters with that in mind. And so it becomes pretty easy. My goodness, making it sound so easy and hearing our crying as we're trying to make our way through to do the same thing. The crazy thing to me too is that they really do sound like friends. Friends from your life. And you see you're very, very driven with characters and that's how you develop your stories. Were these based off of people that you actually knew or like glimpses of them or were these complete voices that you created through pure imagination? It really is a combination. I mean, there are some characters that are inspired by some line of dialogue I heard somewhere. And I began to put flesh on a character based on that piece of dialogue that stuck in my head for some reason. In other cases, they're composites of a number of people that I have known. And in other cases, they are inspired by a particular person that stands out to me from sometime in my past, whether they were close friends or they were simply acquaintances that I knew for a period of time. It really is a composite kind of creation that happens with every character. That's very inspiring because that also gives me, as a budding, aspiring writer, tips to know, hey, it's okay to blend certain parts of your character. I think I'm a little bit too militant in a way where I'm like, oh no, this character is supposed to be based off of my grandma. So she must be like my grandma where it's like, it's okay to mix and pull. And you know, that actually adds more layering. Free yourself. Yes, you're like, woman, let's go. Break the chains. So thank you, Nikki. You just shook those chains right off. I appreciate it. (laughs) If you don't mind digging into the craft side, because a lot of our writers, our listeners are writers. Are there any tips in that? Do you ever write notes as in index cards? Let's say you have 18 index cards where each character, you have little reminders of bullet points. Yeah, no, I'm not an indexer. (laughs) I mean, well, I do. I'll have, I, I don't really journal per se, but I'll have a note book and very often I will have voice of a character in my head. I'll write a few lines of dialogue that I have sort of as a reference for the voice for that character. And I create a history. I want to know, you know, who they are, where they came from. If there are any, you know, quirks, I'll write those down. If, you know, the character is shy, then I want to dig into what made them shy or if they're Mm. frightened of a particular thing. I want to go down that rabbit hole and figure out why. And I'll make a note about that because it'll play a part in how they react to, you know, different elements of the story. I want to have backstory on each character, something about their, you know, close relationships. Definitely need to know where they come from, what their family situation is. Do they live with a grandmother? Is it a one-parent home? Both parents. What that relationship is, because that's always going to influence who they are and how they are and the choices they make in their lives. So backstory is really, really key. And I do that with each character. But before I figure out where they're going to be in the story or what story I'm going to tell about them, especially since I am so character driven, their stories very often organically grow out of who they are. So I have to first detail who they are and really climb into their skin and work all of that out. And they will then start to tell me what story I'm to tell about them. And they can be pretty noisy about it, too. Can I sign up for a waiting list for a class of yours for (laughs) character writing? Can I be the first one on the waiting list? (laughs) 
You wouldn't be the first one on the list, See? though. <laughs> well, who am I going to have to fight? You are a pro. You taught this all yourself, or did you read any craft books that maybe we can even check out for ourselves? Or is this something that you knew intuitively? No, no craft books for me. There are other ways to learn things. Most of what I know about character, I learned from studying theater. When I was younger, I was interested in all things art. I was interested in music and in theater and in dance. And I was fortunate in that I had a father who encouraged me to explore all of the arts that I was drawn to from, from his perspective. And he said, look, don't, don't worry about selecting one or the other right now. Go ahead and explore everything you're interested in. And once you decide which art you want to focus on, you will be able to use everything you've learned. And it was the best advice ever because everyone else in my life was telling me, well, you need to pick something, pick one or the other. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need to do that just yet. Just go ahead and have fun, explore whatever. And so I did theater and I did dance and I did music. And as a result, my poetry has lyrical qualities because of the music and rhythm because of the dance. And my facility with voice and dialogue and character all comes from my theater experience, my ability to climb into a character and look at the world through their eyes. It's all drawn from theater. Please give some credit to yourself at how smart, <laughs> intelligent, intuitive you are as well. You're born with this gift. Man, she makes it sound so easy as if you could take theater and do it. But oh my God, I am struggling here. We're not even done with our conversation, but it's been such a joy so far. Oh, thank you. And I think you need to know this before we move on. Thank you. But I have to also say, if you start to think about theater in this way, yeah. you go back and you just read some plays, you'll be able to make this transition yourself. I believe that. I'm going to take your advice and I'm going to try in that aspect in that approach and if it doesn't work out i'm going to reach out to you <laughs> thank you for diving into character and character work and also about your background with theater and the arts and i do remember also reading in your bio that you mentioned you tried all different types of arts and you exhibited your photography everywhere including in china <laughs> and also you know all about fiber art jewelry and sculpturing. What do you not do? I mean, you even make homemade cards. Yeah. In fact, I was making cards before you called. What card were you making? Well, for a baby shower, a young woman who I've known since she was seven. Oh my God. Now married and she and her husband are having their first child. So oh my gosh. I wanted to do uh, the cards for their baby shower. So that's what I was working on before you call. That's amazing. How So when you make it, what is your style of making cards? It varies. In this case, I'm using a photograph and I've written a poem to go along with the invitation. I do collage. Oh, my Sometimes gosh. I'll rip up old uh, watercolor and, you know, and use that as part of the collage. I like to upcycle. So I'm using, I save everything. I do too. So I have canceled stamps that I use and oh I have... God bits and pieces of wrapping paper. And I use art papers because I make handmade books. So I have great papers what? that I'll draw on that for cards and for artwork and that sort of thing. It's pretty ridiculous. I love that you said that you save all this. And it's true. You save all of the little nicks and knacks so you can upcycle and create. In my head, I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, 
it's called hoarding for me because <laughs> I am unable to make certain beautiful creations out of things I save. I'm not allowed to collect things unless I'm working on them. I sort of have a cutoff for myself. <laughs> like I used to do a lot of beaded jewelry with semi-precious stones and glass, oh glass beads and that kind of thing. But I'm not allowed to buy those anymore because I've stopped making jewelry. I will maybe make something once a year now as a gift, but I'm not doing that on a regular basis. So I'm not allowed to buy that anymore. I have cutoffs for myself <laughs> with these things. Otherwise, they'd have to carry me away. So I don't get too ridiculous with it. I do have bins and bins and bins of papers and buttons. I love doing things with buttons. So I collect buttons. Oh well, gosh. the other thing that happens is my friends know that I do these things. And so periodically I'll get an envelope full of cancel stamps from somebody who knows I use stamps. Someone will get me beads or buttons That's every so now and sweet. then. So I almost have to start telling people, don't send me anymore. Remember I mentioned I literally just moved from California to New York and I gave away literally two to three boxes of arts and crafts things, including semi-precious stones, because I used to make jewelry a while back. Oh, but I haven't so touched that. Hey, at least you do it once in a while. That's amazing that you still do it. Me, I literally stopped within the last eight years. So it's sitting there and it's beautiful pieces. I was having serious separation anxiety from it, but I had mm -hmm. to let it go. I was like, listen, you have not touched it for eight to 10 years. What are you so sad yeah. over here moping about giving away these boxes mm. of beautiful jewelry? But if I had known you sooner, I would have shipped it to you. Even if you didn't want it, I would have been like, <laughs> at least knowing if you make it once or twice a year would have made me so happy to know at least it's being put to good use. The other thing you can do, though, with things that you collect that you really like is if you have friends who are artists, you know, periodically give them if you have certain for instance, buttons. I have a friend who makes button necklaces and earrings. And oh. so periodically I'll collect buttons in a particular color that I don't have and I'll give them to her and then she will add buttons to it and make something for me. So I'm not necessarily doing anything with them, but I will hand them to her. I've done the same thing with beads. I haven't done that in a while though, but hand them over to somebody and say, you know, could you make something for me? Oh, I have hard. a lot of fabric that I turned over uh, that I've had from Tanzania forever and wasn't doing anything with. But I have a friend who's a fiber artist. <gasps> and I said, make something for me from these and you keep the rest. And so she asked me questions about my experiences in Tanzania and she created stories <gasps> you know, from what I told her. And she made a couple of fiber art pieces for me and then kept the rest wow. of the fabric. Oh, my gosh. And then it doesn't feel like a loss. That's you know so smart. Nikki, I'm going to swing us back to Between the Lines. When you were writing Between the Lines, it's so character driven. And that's what I love about it. And you've given us so many amazing insights in writing characters and developing characters. And I think this is such a special episode in that I don't think we've ever had an episode we dive that deeply into characters. So thank you for that. And now with scenes specifically, what was the most difficult part in creating Between the Lines? Finding the balance between all of the stories has always worked. I think well, dealing with the social injustice piece and doing it in a way where I was exploring the character's anger, which was a righteous anger, what had happened to his father, but also finding ways to introduce hope into that scenario mm. was 
a real stretch. And discovering this relationship with preparing him with a with a girlfriend who was also having difficulties in her life, but who had sort of a handle on how to move forward, which was very helpful. There certainly was a lot of work involved with that. I'll tell you, though, the most difficult thing about this book is that there were two storylines that the novel began with that I ended up pulling out toward the end, and I had to replace them with new storylines. And because the way this book is written and everything is connected, it was a real challenge to bring in a new storyline and connect it with already existing character and storyline in a way that felt like it had been there all along. Are you allowed to give us a sneak peek into why it had to be pulled out originally? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love you, Nikki. Oh my God, you're the best. (laughs) No, I love it. I find this confidence so sexy. Okay, to follow up with that, is there any advice that you can share with our listeners? We have this Facebook group where... We check in every day and just to see how we're doing. And we have a weekly thread where we talk about our work in progress. And I do notice there is quite a bit of writers, and I notice this is quite common too, where they realize they have to scrap a lot of things. There was one specific author we had on recently who usually writes the entire first manuscript and then has to scrap it. There was like no way she's able to work around it. Do you have any advice from your experience on how to recognize when you do need to part ways with your content, with your work, with your writing, like knowing when to say goodbye to it and knowing when you need to start rewriting and add new content? Do you have anything to add or to share about that? Oh, it's always a gut-wrenching experience. I feel Um, like it's like killing your children. I'm sorry, so dramatic. I didn't kill them. They'll be in another story. (laughs) Okay, that's um, awesome. (laughs) You're bringing them back to life. Part of the thing that makes it possible for me to do those kind of deep cuts is that I save everything because I know that everything has a place. Nothing is ever, ever, ever really wasted. Even if you don't use a character or storyline again, you learn so much from the process of doing it that you then are able to apply to the next thing you write. It's never wasted. I and mean, very often you'll be able to use bits and pieces of it, if not the whole, in another story somewhere down the line. Ooh. So there's, there's never any sense of, you know, the time or the experience of creating the work has been wasted. And so with that in mind, I'm able to make the necessary deep cuts for the good of that particular story. That just really inspired me too. I could see a lot of listeners nodding their head and just their mouths open. Thank you for that. And I could see how that could put a lot of people's minds and hearts at ease, knowing it's never a goodbye, but a see you later. So I think that's the thing where a lot of people overall, humans in general, have a hard time saying goodbye. So can you just imagine thinking that you're parting ways forever with something that you spent, you know, some people who spent years working on and then having to scrap it. So I love that idea of seeing it as something that you will bring back or resurrect or revisit in the near future. Absolutely. Nikki, there you go. Giving epiphanies left and right. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Nikki, you are wonderful. And that could not have ended on a better note. You just gave the grand slam dunk just from that (laughs) advice. So Nikki, I want to know where can listeners find you and where can they say hello where can they catch up to date on what you're up to and also can you let us know what you're really excited about now as well you can always find me on facebook you can check me out on my website i'm on twitter 
not as often as some. <laughs> you can also find me there. In terms of what I'm excited about now, I'm working on a memoir at the moment, and that oh. I'm very excited about. I've waited a long time to write it. So, oh my gosh, Nikki, I'm yeah, so excited. That's got my attention. I'm very excited about this. You have no idea. I love memoirs. I think that's probably one of my favorites to read. So I'm really looking forward to this. You have such incredible life stories. And I want to be the first one there lining up and pre-ordering the hell out of that memoirs. <laughs> Nikki, I'm very excited about that. Everyone make sure to grab a copy of Between the Lines. And also, Absolutely. you haven't grab a copy of Bronx Masquerade before that so that you can just get more of a backstory and context. And please make sure to check out Nikki on social media and say hi to Nikki and also grab her books because she's a badass. Thank you, Nikki. You're so wonderful. Thank you so much. And that wraps up our episode with Nikki Grimes. Nikki, thank you so much for that heartfelt and open and honest discussion. I truly loved our time together. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please say hi to Nikki over on Twitter at Nikki Grimes 9, and that's the number nine. For her show notes page, head over to 88cupsofteacom slash podcast slash Nikki dash Grimes. If you enjoyed today's episode or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes and please leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time, and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating, and a review, that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before. And we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much for helping us grow our community. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow storytellers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I am so excited to see you in there. You can find us at 88cupsoftea.com slash FB group. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.